You're listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant newsmaking issues and individuals. Sponsored by Greenberg Traurig, LLP. In Search of Excellence was the first management book that I read when I began my career in banking back in 1982. Co-authored with his McKinsey colleague, Robert Waterman, Excellence, as it soon became known, is one of the best-selling business books of all time. Not resting on those laurels, Tom Peters is the best-selling author of 15 other books, including his latest, The Excellence Dividend, that brings him to Dallas today into a program in a few minutes with our World Affairs Council members that is being sponsored by Texas Capital Bank. Welcome. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. In Search of Excellence landed on the desk of aspiring executives in the early 1980s. The U.S. was being buffeted by Japan, and there was a real fear that the U.S. had lost its technological and manufacturing edge. Well, you've described today as an equally troubling time. Why so? Well, in those days, the issue turned out to be, in some respects, pretty straightforward. We had focused on finance, we had focused on marketing, we had focused on MBAs, and they had focused on cars that worked. Hmm. There was a wonderful one-liner, Sachiro Honda. This is an awful thing to say, but he kind of probably was directionally right. He said, whenever Congress passes tighter emission statements, we hire 100 engineers and GM hires 100 lawyers. (laughs) There's a fair amount of truth to that. So we got that part of our act together, but... What's happening now is we have got a wave of technology. The honest statement is there are incredibly bright people from places like Oxford University who say 50% of American white collar jobs are at risk Mm -hmm. in the next 20 years. There are equally smart people who say the number is a lot smaller. So where do you stand? I stand is saying is you better darn well get ready regardless of which number it is. And one of the things I'm arguing, and this is a bit of a new twist for me in a way, I'm not a terribly religious person, but what I'm arguing is that unlike ever before, business has a moral responsibility to their people and to their communities to make sure that the people who are on their payroll at the end of six months or 16 years are better prepared for the future than they were when they arrived. But job loss is just one factor. What about income disparity and the opioid crisis and some of those other issues? Well, obviously we've got unsettled politics in Washington and around the country today. And I think the unsettled politics at some level have less to do with the personalities and more to do with the generic uncertainty about, you know, where am I going to be and and where am I going to be five or ten years ago? And, And what people are saying, and I'm not a sociologist, is This is the first generation of parents who don't think their kids are going to do better than they did. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, probably goes back to about the Mayflower. One of the things that I single out in the book, and I did it as a separate chapter, is training. You know, I believe in train, 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 train. Frankly, I believe it's at least as important or more important to the three-person business as it is to the 30,000-person business. And I believe that the best offense relative to the new technology is organizations with well-trained people who can 
the thing the computers can't do is they can offer the human touch. And as you can imagine, in a few minutes we're going to be meeting with a lot of political scientists or liberal arts majors. And one of the things that I loved about your arguments is that you said that hiring a liberal arts major is a good business decision. Yeah, well, Google got the surprise of their life. They did a study of their very best employees and they came up with eight attributes and number eight on the list last was STEM. And I'm not arguing against STEM. I mean, for God's sakes, I've got quantitative engineering degrees from Cornell and business degrees from Stanford and so on, but it's not the be all and the end all. And what they found, which is really cool, was their most creative teams didn't have the people with the highest IQs. They were smart, but they were EQ smart enough to get to know each other and trade ideas and build on each other's ideas as opposed to some of the arrogance associated with the... And an MBA may get a higher starting salary, but when yep. the race is over, who wins? At, the, at, at year 20, the numbers were clear. The MBAs, the lawyers, the engineers, the professional degree people had sl slipped. And of course, by year 20 of your career, it's all about people. It's pure people stuff. And I like to talk to, you know, relatively young, to me, kids. Everybody's a kid to me. You're a kid. I like to talk to relatively young kids and say, look, you want to get ahead and you're on a project team and you came out of university and you're 22 years old. If you're doing well at all, by the age of 25, you're going to be a project manager of some little piece. It, mm -hmm. it may be a little piece of an IT project. It may be a little piece of a, you know, whatever project, but you're going to be in a leadership position. And when that happens, your life turns upside down. And suddenly the only measure of your success is the ability to develop and support the people who work for you as opposed to be the smartest guy in the room. And you spend a lot of time in your book, The Excellence Dividend, talking about hiring and also evaluation. Let's talk about hiring first. What are the big mistakes that people make in the hiring process? Well, a couple of things. One of my favorite examples that I always use about the human touch is, and it's appropriate that we're in Dallas, is a Southwest Airlines pilot running behind schedule, gets to a gate, sees the standard line of six wheelchairs, turns to the person in the first wheelchair, you, you're very healthy, so it wouldn't be you, turns to the person in the first wheelchair and says, may I take you down the jetway? I have flown 7,500 flight legs and I've never seen that. And as somebody said in the seminar of mine, I've never even seen a pilot. So how do you identify that? How do you get that? Here's how you get that. You get that. Colleen Barrett, foreign president, Southwest Airlines says, we hire for listening smiling, caring, saying thank you, and being warm. And we hire for that in the pilots and the mechanics as much as in and the And you flight. certainly do see that with And you see it. Yeah. And you see it, and it works. And you know, even more than that, which I loved, because at least in my opinion, when you think pharmaceuticals, you think tough guys and high IQs and biotech and so on. But a guy who is the CEO and founder of a middle-sized pharmacy company said, we hire nice people. And he said, my culture won't work without nice people. And he said, here's the surprising news. Let's talk about super duper biotechnology skills that require a PhD. He said, there are actually quite a lot of them around. 
don't hire the jerks. Mm -hmm. Now, he actually used a stronger word than jerk, but we will leave it a jerk in this particular situation. Well, sometimes when we're doing evaluations, we say, would you want to spend a whole day in a bus with this yep. person? And so speaking evaluations, you know, in some instances, for the person giving it and the person receiving it, they might even prefer a root canal. What's the yeah. secret to a good evaluation? Learning how to give a good evaluation. Let me tell you why I made a remark like that. There's a guy by the name of Ed Schein, who's a longtime MIT professor, and he wrote a book called Helping. And when you read that book, and it's incredibly well-researched, and Ed's been around for 40 years, what I say is that to really learn how to help is 10 times more difficult than being a neurosurgeon because it's just a very intimate, complex conversation. And so, you know, one of my arguments about leadership training is we focus on all this, this peripheral stuff to me, like vision and so on. Leadership's a bunch of practical skills. Leadership is about hiring. Leadership is about training. Leadership is about evaluating. I've got some place in the book where I make a list of about 50 things leaders need to know. And I have to say that about your book. I mean, you have these lists, and you also have an incredible reading list, too, oh, for you. people. It's really helpful. Well, it gave I, me something to, well, that I knew to yeah, expire yeah. for to try to well, read all these books. It, it comes from one of my great life secrets that to everybody who's listening to us, this will be incredibly helpful. Number one, choose your mother with incredible <laughs> care. Thing I was at a dinner you know, social dinner, so names won't be named, and I just ended up sitting next to a guy who was not Warren Buffett, but kind of a top 10 investment guy. Yeah. And we were shooting the breeze about nothing, and he, and he looked at me and he said, what, what do you think the number one problem with big company CEOs are? And I was a born smart aleck, and I said, well, I can come up with 15. I'm not sure I can narrow <laughs> it down. But he looked at me, not with any dead seriousness, he said, Number one problem with CEOs, they don't read enough. Yeah. Well, I want to ask yeah. you this, because at the World Affairs Council, we are huge fans of Kevin Roberts. We used to have a marketing director who just swore by Kevin Roberts, who wrote Love Marks. And we strive to do that at our council. I'd love to hear your thoughts on why so many companies lose their way. There are all sorts of levels where I could go after it. One of the We've got reasons, two more minutes. Okay, two more minutes. <laughs> One of the reasons they lose their ways, particularly the giant companies, is they merge and they merge and they merge and they lose their character. You, it is almost impossible to have a good culture. As you said, if you want to get a small company, join a large one and wait for it to yeah, fail. Yeah, no, I didn't say it. I stole <laughs> you put it, it in from the book. Some, but, but I put it in the book. I am in love, and it comes across in this book, and it would even come across more if I was rewriting it, I love small and medium-sized enterprises because the real reality is 80% of, you know, the Fortune 500 domestically employs less than 10% of the American pop working population. So the real world of American business is those SMEs. They employ 80% of us. They create jobs while the big guys are destroying jobs. And I say somewhere in the book, I, I call it my million job dream. I was just driving past an old or simple little area where you had 10 or 15 shops, tailor shop, medical record shop, what have you. And I thought, what if each of these 10 shops could really buy into the excellence thing and 12 months from now, they'd be in a position to hire two more people. Exactly. And what mm -hmm. if we took that to 500,000 businesses 
that just made themselves a little better and could hire two people each. And that really is the thing that excites me. It's, it's doing a little bit better. I had this wonderful thing happen a couple of weeks ago. My wife and I own a Sub-Zero freezer. It's an old Sub-Zero freezer. It had a compressor problem. The appliance guy came over. He has a little five-person company. And we got to shooting the breeze. Here's a guy, I'd say he's mid-40s, has a little teeny appliance company, probably doesn't have a Rolls-Royce in the parking lot. He had just come back from a two-week course that he had paid for on this Internet of Things software stuff. I almost teared up mm -hmm. because that's the magic. Yeah. It wasn't a 22-year-old, it's a 45-year-old, solid as a rock. I have no idea what And as you said, you have to keep on educating and you gotta, yourself. And you've got to keep on doing that. And when you see somebody do that, and, and, I, and he was one, I was thinking, wow, I bet that seven-person appliance company with that kind of an attitude could be a 17-person company 24 months from the Now, future. you're famous for including in your books quotes. And you said your favorite quote is, and I love it, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Right. Who said that and why do you love that quote? Wayne Gretzky said it. And the reason I love the quote is at the end of the day, I also call it WTTMSW, whoever tries the most stuff wins. Sadly, our time is up, and we've barely scratched the surface of what you expose, explain, and guide throughout this really enjoyable book, which, like In Search of Excellence, will be on my bookshelf right where I can always reach to it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Traurig LLP, a global firm with 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices across the globe. Visit the firm at gtlaw.com. <laughs>